Everything is based on the teachings of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the founder of Charya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Om Aganati Mirandasya, Garangana Salakya Chaksurin Miritam, Yena Tajmai Sri Gurveya Nuha, Sri Chaitanya Manavistam Stapitam Yadabhutare, Sayam Rupakaram Yam Dadati Swapanadikam. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Abhayat Gananda Sri Vasari Gaurabhaktivinam. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari. Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari. Talk to you today about living a cause-centered life. There should be something that we're involved in that's bigger than ourselves. It's good to have personal goals and dreams, things we want to accomplish. But if you're only focused on yourself, you're never going to reach your highest potential. We were created, we were wired and built to help others, to be a blessing, to lift the fallen, to encourage those who are down, to fight for those that can't fight for themselves, to honor the supreme creator of us all. You need to have a cause that you're passionate about, some way that you can make this world a better place and ensure your transferal and the transferal of your loved ones to the spiritual world after leaving this present body. Maybe your cause is to support great organizations to help build that children's home, to fund that ministry, to moderate a small Zoom group call once a week. Cause may be to break the addiction so your children don't have to deal with it. Cause may be to come out of poverty and set a new standard for your family. A cause might be like ours, to establish a spiritual oasis, place of pilgrimage in a new area to take new ground for the kingdom. When you live a cause-driven life, you'll do things that you wouldn't normally do, like get up early, make sacrifices, show up when you could have been somewhere else doing other things. Why? Because you're committed to the cause. You don't wake up in the morning thinking, I don't feel like going to work. I don't want to deal with these problems. Your attitude is, I'm on a mission. I'm on an assignment. It's not just about me. The world needs what I have. Somebody out there is counting on me. I'm going to do my part and be a positive force for good in my neighborhood, among my peers, on my job, in my generation. The reason, can I tell you, most people are not happy today is because they're ingrown. As long as you're only focused on yourself, you're not going to be fulfilled. Look around, see how you can be a blessing. And when you give your time, energy, and resources to reach out to the suffering, to enlighten those who are in darkness, to lift up the fallen, bring their dreams to pass, you're going to see favor in your own life in new ways. When you live cause-driven, it's a game-changer. Now, don't be waiting for Krishna to bless you when Krishna or God is waiting for you to be a blessing to others. The next level of your destiny is connected to helping someone else. In the sixth canto, Srimad Bhagavatam, Prabhupada says, This body, which is destined to be eaten by jackals and dogs after death, does not do actually any good for me, the spirit soul within the body. It's usable only for a short time, may perish at any moment. The body and its possessions, its riches, its relatives, must all be engaged for the benefit of others, or else they will be sources of what? tribulation, and misery. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, fourth canto, 
the self-effulgent planets of the spiritual world, the kingdom of God, can be reached only by those who are merciful to other living beings. Only persons engaged in welfare activities for other living beings can reach the kingdom of God. Most people, unfortunately, I think you'll agree with me, don't know that the ultimate goal of life is to please the creator of us all. If all philanthropic humanitarian activities were directed towards achieving this ultimate highest goal of life, to please the Supreme Lord, they would be perfect. However, unfortunately, humanitarian work, charitable work, without bringing people to knowledge of who they are and whose they are, is not of any real lasting value. Take the sun, which is shining brightly through the window here. What a great example of giving and not taking. The sun gives every minute of every day, fills each nook and corner of this vast universe with light and heat, causes things to grow, sustains life. And what does it require in return? Nothing that I know of. It's just there to give. And yet, the sun is Raja Samasti Sodaha. It is described by Lord Brahma, the creator of the universe, as the king of all planets. And the sun god who presides there is the best of all the demigods. So it is the sun which takes nothing for itself, but which helps out all other living beings. In fact, it is the light of the sun by which the moon and the stars themselves are illuminated. The sun, in fact, is the only illuminating agent within this universe. And so we should also try to be like the sun, which is glorious, which is topmost, super excellent, and full of effulgence. Prabhupada says here, the highest perfection of life is for a father, mother, spiritual master, husband, teacher, or anybody to help others return back to home, back to Godhead. Because after this body drops, we'll still be alive. We'll still be an eternal living being. And depending on what choices we make during this brief lifetime, who we hang out with, what movies we watch, what books we read, what foods we eat, that's going to determine whether we come back again for another cycle of birth, death, disease, and old age, or whether the soul will achieve its final release back to home, back to the spiritual world. So the welfare work which assists and directs and illuminates others' path back to immortal life is the best welfare work. A story we get in the Bhagavatam is that in the beginning of the creation, there are certain prajapatis. And their job is to populate the universe, which is empty in the beginning. So one prajapati named Daksha, he begot 10,000 sons in the womb of his wife, Panchajani. These sons were all of the highest character. They were known as the Haryasvas. Now their father ordered them to create more and more population. They went to a place where the river Sindhu meets the Arabian Sea and they began practicing austerities, penances, and meditation. While they were doing that, a great sage who is known for stirring things up, named Narada Muni, happened to walk by and saw these boys engaged in such commendable austerities. But they were doing it just to raise a family and propagate and then have to go to work and maintain a house and relatives and children and grandchildren and land and businesses and so on and so forth. He thought, since they were so close to ultimate transcendence, controlling their senses and disciplining their urges and appetites, he thought that they should not go back home. 
They should not follow the order of the material father, Daksha, and just continue. They were so close to liberation. He thought, why give it up? Why retreat at this point? Just stay where you are. Don't marry. Don't get entangled. Don't have children. And very quickly, in a finger snap, you'll achieve ultimate liberation. Back to home, back to God. In the Bhagavad Gita, second chapter, 49th verse, Krishna says to Arjuna, rid yourself of all fruitive activities, material entanglements, by executing loving devotional service to the transcendental Lord. Surrender fully to that consciousness. Those who want to stay here and enjoy the fruits of their work are misers. Why? Because we have this human form of body amongst 8,400,000 species of life. The only one that's just capable of understanding God and going back to Godhead is that one in the human form of life. So he's saying, don't waste it. For doing the same things, wife, children, family, money, food, that the hogs and dogs do. It says, only misers desire to enjoy the fruit of their own work just to be further entangled in material bondage. Prabhupada says, except for work in Krishna or God consciousness, all activities are undesirable because they continually bind the worker to the cycle of birth and death. This is an example given in the sixth canto of the Bhagavatam, Dehi Agi Jogu Bhagavatam, It says, those who are inept, unable and incapable of controlling their senses are like the silkworm which uses its own saliva to weave a cocoon and then becomes trapped in its own cocoon of its own making with no possibility of getting out. So Prabhupada, whenever he initiated a new disciple into the International Society of Krishna Consciousness, at the time of initiation, they had to promise, and of course they had to have already been following these moral codes for at least a year beforehand just to show they could do it. First steps towards transcendence are learning to regulate essential activities. The difference between us and the animals is they can't control it. They see something, they smell something, they taste something, they can't control it. But we can exercise restraint. And so Prabhupada said, if you're serious about achieving liberation from birth, death, disease, and age, these are the four moral prerequisites. No illicit sex. That means if you're single, you're celibate. If you're married, you're faithful. No gambling. No intoxication, including coffee, tea, and cigarettes. For a long time, there was an advertisement for Mountain Dew on a billboard up near the point in the mountain. And the Mountain Dew was personified in a bottle with the hands on his hips. And he was saying, who are you calling a soft drink? So no intoxication, no illicit sex, no gambling, and no meeting, duh. No committing unnecessary, gratuitous violence on other living entities, right? We are the living graves of murdered beasts, slaughtered to satisfy our appetites. We never pause to wonder at our feasts if animals like humans have rights. We pray on Sundays to light to guide our footsteps on the path we tread. We're sick of war, we don't want to fight, and yet we gorge ourselves on the dead. None of that hypocrisy for genuine spiritual aspirants. So these Four types of prohibitions will enable a person to get free from materialistic life and return back to home, back to God. So this human form of life, it's an opportunity. It's the launching pad for immortality, but it's also risky as well. Because when you misuse the human form of life, one can become totally degraded. 
This example is given of a razor blade. If you use it properly, you get a nice shave, you show up at work Monday morning looking spiffy, looking good, eligible for promotion, yada, yada, yada. But you're inattentive or careless, and it's like, yuck, man, this guy's never going to make it into management. So the razor blade, if used properly, can yield you benefits. But if used carelessly and inattentively, it's going to be a disaster. So this rare and valuable human form of life, it's like the departure lounge for the spiritual world. But you have to use it properly as it was meant to be used. It is said that every living being, cats, dogs, snakes, takes birth from a father and a mother. So getting a material father and mother is not unique. It's common to every form of life. In human society, however, if you're just satisfied with your natural father and mother and their instructions do not incite you, inspire you, and guide you to make further progress and accept a spiritual master being educated in the process of liberation, then one remains in darkness, revolving in this material world. It says the material mother and father are important only if they're interested in educating their children to become free from the clutches of birth and death. So Narada Muni asked the Hayavasas, who are very sharp guys, how are you here ignoring the instructions of your father? Some lesser person might have said, what are you talking about? Our father told us to come here, do austerities in preparation for getting married. But they understood exactly what Narada Muni was saying. He wasn't referring to their material father, in fact, who was encourage him to use the human form of life for far lesser goals than were possible. He was referring to their spiritual father, which are the scriptures, and to the spiritual master who always guides one according to the instructions of the scriptures. And so the Hayashas understood that he was referring to their spiritual father and not their material father. If they were to go back and follow the instructions of their material father, they would be disobeyed the ultimate instructions of the scriptures and the spiritual master. Now, every scripture culminates. Bhagavad Gita is the sacred conversation between Krishna and Arjuna. It's 700 verses divided into 18 chapters. What is practically the last verse of the Bhagavad Gita? Any speaker, any author leaves their most important point to the end. Every other point leads up to the last point. So what is the last, the ultimate instruction? That Krishna gives Arjuna in the 65th verse of the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Sarva dharman parityagya mame kam sarva aham tam sarva mokshyashi masritaham. Give up all other types of so-called manufactured, concocted duties, even religions, and mam e kam saranam. Serve me. Surrender unto me. Let me be your life manager. This is the conclusion of all scriptures. Christ said, love your car. No. Love your home. No. Love your kids. No. Love your wife. Not that those things aren't important, but he said above and beyond, eclipsing and prioritizing love primarily, first and foremost, the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and last commandment of all scriptures. Prabhupada says, when you get initiated by a bona fide spiritual master, that bona fide spiritual master gives you such instructions and such guidance as to 
lead you to the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord and abandon the materialistic values and principles of life. It is said, What is the perfection of the human form of life? How do we know that someone is capitalizing on the rare and valuable opportunity of the human form of life in the best way? It is that they have approached a self-realized soul and begun the process of seriously inquiring, serving, and hearing from such a person. Narada Muni was a celebrated spiritual master, and he advised the sons of Prajapati, Daksha, that instead of getting entangled in family life and children, better to achieve the perfection of spiritual understanding and remain right where they were. The Hayavasas followed Narada Muni. Although their father had instructed him to increase the population, but because of the words of their spiritual father, Narada Muni, they did not heed those instructions. It says, one should not act in such a way as one wanders throughout the different universes and planetary systems, even going to the topmost planets of the demigods, Brahma Loka. Lord warns us, who is more prosperous? Who is more talented? Who is more gifted? Who is more wealthy? Who is more creative than Lord Brahma, who created the whole universe? And he lives on the highest planet in the universe, Brahma Loka. And yet, Krishna tells us, even on the planet of Brahma, the creator of the universe, birth, death, disease, and old age. So the spiritual master will give you that treasure which you could not achieve even by becoming a Lord Brahma. And Narada Muni is taking them higher and saying this is not the best thing. You have to go beyond wherever birth, death, disease, and old age take place. And that can only be achieved by clasping hold and loving service of the lotus feet of the supreme personality of God. And so Narada Muni, I don't know if you studied any of the Mahabharata or the Ramayana or anything, but Narada Muni is a great, powerful personality who appears all throughout the scriptures. One might ask, why is Narada Muni always popping up here and there, disturbing material life and encouraging people to serve Krishna? Why does he mind his own business? Well, if you knew the cure for cancer and you kept it to yourself, that would be criminal, wouldn't it? Narada Muni could easily think, why should I get involved? But you cannot remain silent if you know the cure for AIDS, if you know the cure for cancer. Let's say you're on a balcony and you see two cars speeding towards an intersection. Neither of the cars can see it, but you see that at that speed and that velocity in those directions, there is going to be a very serious auto accident. So you just keep mind your own business. You don't stick your nose in. No. You're going to wave your arms, jump up and down, scream and yell, and do whatever you can to avert the auto accident that only you can see. Narada Muni is always, so, quote unquote, sticking his nose in other people's business. In fact, a song was written about him by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Narada Muni Bajavinam Radhika Ram Name. He's accompanied by a musical instrument called the Veena, which is similar to the sitar. And he sings the names of Krishna and travels and promotes kirtan throughout the three worlds amongst all the devotees. When Narada Muni plays his Veena and sings the names of Krishna, all the devotees respond. The result being a very beautiful vibration that goes throughout the universe. 
The singing of Krishna's names is like a shower of nectar and all the devotees dance in ecstasy to the fullest extent of their satisfaction. While dancing, they appear madly intoxicated. We say no intoxicants, but this kind of intoxicant is okay. <laughs> some of them cry, some of them dance, and some of them, unable to dance publicly, dance within their hearts. Lord Shiva embraces Narada Muni and begins talking in an ecstatic voice. And seeing Lord Shiva dancing with Narada, Lord Brahma also joins, saying, Haribo, Haribo. The king of heaven, Indra, also joins with great satisfaction, begins dancing and chanting, Haribo, Haribo. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Prajapati Dachin, very sad, the loss of his 10,000 sons and their refusal to follow his order. So he went and he had 1,000 more sons, ordered them to get married and increase progeny. These sons were called the Sabalashras. They engaged in worshiping Vishnu to beget children. But Narada again convinced them because the youngers always follow and emulate the older brothers. So Narada Muni didn't have a very difficult time at all. They were only too willing to follow the path of their older brothers. They engaged themselves in worshiping Krishna and chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And being foiled a second time, Dacha got extremely angry and he cursed Narada Muni, saying that in the future, he would not be able to stay anywhere more than five minutes. Of course, Narada Muni, he's fixed in tolerance. He accepted Daksha's curse with equanimity. And Prabhupada said the same thing. When Prabhupada, our spiritual master, came to America, there were so many disaffiliated kids in the Kauri culture in Lower East Side, New York, and Haight-Ashbury. Prabhupada picked them all up. They were addicted to all the bad things, the meat-eating, the illicit sex, the gambling, the intoxication. But within a few days of engaging themselves, plugging them in to devotional service to the Lord, they were able to give up all their bad habits. Prabhupada said, formerly they were gray-faced and morose. Now they're jubilant, chanting, singing, dancing, smiling, just like peacocks. Prabhupada says, a materialistic father and mother is not very happy when they see their children adopt spiritual life. The materialistic father and mother, the only thing they want for their children is to engage in themselves begetting children, producing grandchildren, struggling hard for improved economic conditions, but unfortunately rotting in material life. Such parents are not unhappy, Prabhupada says, when their children become spoiled, useless citizens, but they lament when they join the Krishna consciousness movement to achieve the ultimate goal of life. Prabhupada said the animosity between parents and Krishna conscious movement has existed apparently since the very beginning of the creation. Nothing has changed even down to the present day. Nevertheless, Narada Muni never gives up his mission, which is to deliver as many fallen souls as possible. He continues playing his musical instrument and vibrating the transcendental sound. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Our message today is that your crown is going to be found in a cause. Your promotion, your breakthrough, 
your dream coming to be passed is going to be found not in accepting blessings, but in being a blessing to others. Question is, are you fighting for anyone other than yourself today? Are you taking a risk, stepping out in faith, helping others to rise higher? When you're cause-driven, you'll see promotion, doors open, the right people show up. When you have a cause, you'll believe for big things. You'll pray bold prayers. Narada Muni could have been satisfied with his own spiritual realizations. He was already a fully liberated soul. Just like Prabhupada could have been satisfied staying in India chanting Hare Krishna. He didn't have to, at the age of 70, come to America. He could have thought, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. Why should I bother to enlighten others? People may criticize me. I may even get cursed by parents. I should just play it safe. Keep my head down. But our message today is that safe is not your destiny. Average is not what you're called to be. Take on some giants. Believe to advance the kingdom. Set new standards. Krishna didn't give you that talent, that personality, that courage just to go to work, make a living, feed your family. You are called for a cause. You are gifted for a cause. You're healthy for a cause. You're influential for a cause. You're anointed for a cause. Don't just build your kingdom, build his kingdom. Get involved in making a difference. William Lloyd Garrison was the greatest abolitionist this country has ever seen. He was a publisher of a newspaper called The Liberator. It's an anti-slavery publication. Garrison was a passionate man, passionate with the indignation caused by the unbelievably inhumane treatment of many of the slaves he experienced. He hated slavery with every cell of his being. One day, one of his best friends, Samuel May, tried to calm him down. He said to Garrison, my friend, calm down, chill out, try to moderate your indignation and keep more cool. You're all on fire. Garrison replied, Brother May, I have need to be all on fire, for I have mountains of ice around me to melt. Well, the only way that any of us can melt mountains of ice is to be on fire. The only way Krishna can use any of us is when we're driven by a great passion. When we hear his voice within our heart showing us the great cause of devotional service that needs to be championed in this dark world. Nothing is accomplished by people who have no passion. That's one reason why we need Krishna in our hearts as well as on our lips. Fire has another benefit. Fire, as well as destroyed, I don't know if you know this, but it brings new life. Krishna, God knows that the fire kindled in his devotees' hearts will burn away their old life, their old addictions, their old priorities, their old vanities. Fire brings new life. We all know about wired fires in Utah, Oregon, California. We've had lots of them and we know how devastating they can be. But I don't know if we know they serve a useful purpose by creating new life. There is increased explosive growth in a forest 
the heat from the fire triggers the dormant pine cone seeds to pop open and land in the charred and ashy soil, which is amazingly and mysteriously rich soil for new life to birth forth. Fire releases new life. And so before our new life begins, we have to burn off the old karma from the past. The fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says to Arjuna, Yataye dam shish amiragnir, bhajmasat kurutarjana, jnanagni sagakamani, bhajmasat kurutejana. As the blazing fire turns firewood to ashes, Arjuna, so does the fire of devotional service burn to ashes all reactions to our karmic activities. I don't know about you, but I've made up my mind. I'm not going to live comfort-driven. I'm going to live cause-driven. When we're comfort-driven, we don't have to stretch. We don't have to make sacrifices. We don't have to take any risks. When you're comfort-driven, you're not going to be criticized. You're not going to be betrayed. You're not going to be talked about. You're not going to be cursed. You're not going to have opposition. But can I tell you, there's nothing worse than to come to the end of your life and realize that you never saw your crown. You never took your throne. It wasn't in the average. It wasn't in the routine. It was in the cause. The cause is connected to your crown. The cause opens the doors to your destiny. The cause invokes favor on your life greater than you could ever imagine. Now, I know we're all not going to travel the universe and convert thousands of youth at a time like Narada Muni. We're not going to start big organizations like Prabhupada. We're not going to lead the charge against an issue like slavery. But there are people whose lives you can change by your example. There is something you can do that's outside of yourself, that makes your relationships better, makes your co-workers better, makes your children better. Find your cause and you'll find your favor. And you can't help Krishna without Krishna helping you. The cause doesn't come by itself. It's connected to the crown. You're going to see favor that you haven't seen before. You're going to come out of the ordinary into the uncommon, the extraordinary, resources you've never seen, influence and opportunity like you've never imagined. The greatness that Krishna put in you is going to come out of the cause. Sometimes when it's most difficult, the good news means that you're closest to your crown. You're close to your breakthrough. You will have come too far to stop at that point. Krishna didn't bring you there to leave you. Dig down deep. Stay determined. Stay focused. Keep doing the right thing. What you're doing is for the glorification of God and the upliftment of mankind. If you'll keep fighting for others, like with Narada Muni, like with Prabhupada, like with William Lloyd Garrison, if you reach back to lift up somebody else, Krishna is going to shower you with blessings. Krishna sees you giving, helping others, being good to people, delivering them from a life of bondage. You didn't have to. No one would have faulted you, but you answered the cause. You stepped up to make a difference. Now, get ready. The king in you is about to step out. Your crown is about to show up. I believe you're coming out of the ordinary into the uncommon. Krishna is about to favor you in a new way.
promotion, influence, divine connections, favor, blessings, dreams coming to pass, strongholds coming down, the fullness of your destiny in this life, next life, you go back to home, back to God. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare.